there. I'm Kathy Cooper. This is Loss and Found, where every loss matters and through every loss, something can be found. Thank you for tuning in today and being a listener. I always appreciate you giving me um, an hour of your time because I know it is really valuable and I'm very grateful for that. And if you're a first time listener, welcome. I I hope that you find the hour worthwhile. I, I believe that you will, especially this week. I have a great guest on today. I think you're going to find really, really interesting. And I just really encourage everyone, whether first time or uh, continual listeners, to please spread the word about us. Um, anyone can stream anywhere, uh, wherever they live, if they have internet, on 1150kknw.com. So please spread the word about that. And if you would like to call the studio line and join in the conversation today, you can do so at 425-373-5527, 425-373-5527. My email is lossandfoundseattle at gmail.com. I have a Facebook page, of course, and that is Loss and Found Seattle. So I want to mention a new show on Netflix that um, I was uh, contacted with by a couple listeners. Robin and her sister Kay emailed and said, hey, there's a new uh, show on called Dead to Me. So I was told about it, and um, I, I ended up watching the first two episodes. And, you know, folks, give it, check it out. It's got a little dark humor, perhaps, and my guest also has watched it, and so he can speak <laughs> He can speak to that a little bit. But it's, it's really a, an interesting show. It's chronicling a, a woman's grief. Uh, her husband was running and was hit by a vehicle and was left to die on the side of the road, and it's about her grief and what she's experiencing through that with her kids and creating a new normal. And there are some twists and turns, so it also is um, does have a storyline. So give it a give it a look see it's on Netflix and it's called Dead to Me and thank you uh listeners for letting me know about that all right sunday sunday is mother's day so i just want to say uh just something really quick about that it may be a difficult time for you and if it is accept that embrace that and i really encourage you to make a plan for the day i encourage you to think about what you've feel that day may be like for you. Um, I encourage you to think about how you would like to spend the day. Is there anything you would like to do in particular, who you would like to do something with, who would like to be involved in that? Um, How would you like to honor that person? And I'm really big on that. No matter how the relationship was, um, especially if it was a very close relationship and our mothers are gone, uh, do something to honor that person on that day. And then the in however big or small way that you want. Perhaps you weren't so close with your mom and, um, you know, take some time to to think on that as well. That can be a very real situation in one's life. And take some time and just think about what that that has been like for you and take a few moments to maybe honor her in some way because the way that relationship was, if it was not like it was, you may not be who you are today. So even in that loss, something that can be found is you are who you are. So there is always something to look for on the other side. All right. Grief is grief is grief, right? Um, Except it isn't. You know what? We all have loss and we all have similar losses. We all have similar symptoms of grief, uh, yet each person's grief is different. And I think we can agree on that. And why is that? Because obviously you're you and I am me. You're unique. I'm unique. Even if we experience the same loss, no matter how we experience it, we are different. 
if we're siblings and we experience the same loss, we are going to be experiencing that loss differently. Different is really a difficult concept to accept. You know, we may acknowledge that we have difference, yet oftentimes our differences cause conflict. And with grieving, it's, it's no exception. In processing my grief, you know, I may be feeling anger, so what am I going to do? I'm going to lash out at you. I may be feeling withdrawn, and so what am I going to do? I'm going to isolate, and perhaps your feelings are hurt because I'm isolating you. My feelings are more sensitive, so I may take something completely out of context and um, out of proportion and, again, lash out. So when, when a loss affects several people at the same time, you know, their differences in how they grieve, it can become really noticeable, and that can be really uncomfortable, and conflict can arise from that. And it's difficult to set oneself aside when we're grieving. You know, we're very much focused on ourselves. But, um, and by doing that, if, if we can set ourselves aside, even just for a moment, and validate the other person's grief is really important. You are saying, you grieve differently than me, yet it is no less than me. Let's grieve together. And I want to say that again. You're grieving differently than me, but it is no less than me. So let's grieve together. Now, in life, it kind of works the same. I have to work at setting myself aside to really see the person that is different from me. I have to set aside my ego. I have to set aside my beliefs, my values, so I can see as clearly as possible that other person. You know, who is that person? What do they believe? What are their values? How are we different, but how are we alike? Because we are all so much alike. And by doing that, I'm extending myself to connect with that person. I'm pulling out a bridge that I have in my pocket, and I'm laying it out between us so we can walk across and meet in the middle. People, we all have a bridge to pull out. You know, we may not use it, but we always have a bridge to pull out to meet people in the middle so we can connect. And why is it necessary to connect with somebody that's different than me? I ask myself that a lot because I like to try to grow. And one, one word came to my mind as I was thinking about that. It's important to, to connect with someone different than ourselves because it enriches us. You know, I have the opportunity to learn something from this person that's going to increase some quality or attribute in myself. I have the opportunity to continue my growth as a loving, compassionate human being. Just as grief can be a catalyst for that, so too can connection with someone I see as different from me. So, everyone, reach in your back pocket and pull out your bridge and let's use it today. I'm Kathy Cooper. This is Lost and Found, and we'll be back in two minutes. Why don't you just meet me in the middle? I'm losing my mind just a little. So why don't you just meet me in the middle? Have you ever held your breath too long? Did it make you feel lightheaded? Maybe a little weak? Perhaps you even had a headache. When we are faced with either chronic or acute conditions, typically caused by inflammation, our immune system functioning optimally rely not only on how clean, pure, oxygenated and available the air is for us to breathe, but also on how available we are to it. While we immediately notice when it is difficult to breathe, we might not notice when the cells in our bodies have not had the oxygen that they need 
to make available to us the most profound and greatest experience of our health. When you come to New Leaf Hyperbarics, you come to a whole new way of breathing, a whole new way to support your recovery, and a whole new life that will leave you anything but breathless. Make a time to breathe easier today. Call New Leaf Hyperbarics at 425-279-9859. That's 425-279-9859. We believe that every baby deserves the best possible start. Unfortunately, not all babies get one. March of Dimes is changing that. By participating in March for Babies, you're joining a community that can solve even the toughest problems because together we fight for the health of all moms and babies. And that makes the future brighter for us all. Sign up today at marchforbabies.org. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Why it's actually good for you to suck at something. Award-winning journalist Karen Rinaldi explores how sucking at something rewires the brain and helps with our health and sanity. We'll also hear from Laura Scroff, who first said no to a stranger on the street who asked her for money. But after pausing a moment, she asked one question of the young boy, which led to a life-changing situation for both of them. Catch us live on Mondays at noon Pacific and again Fridays at 6 a.m. Find more details at conversationslive.net. Talk radio for the heart and soul. Alternative Talk 1150. I am Kathy Cooper. This is Lost and Found. And today I have a really interesting guest with me, a very talented person. His name is Jay Mace III. He wrote a poetry book, amongst other things, I believe in this, (laughs) and it is called And Then I Got Fired, One Trans Queer's Reflections on Grief, unemployment, and inappropriate jokes about death. It really is um, an interesting compilation of work. I One reason that I wanted to have you on is because I there's so many parts of this that I love, um, and I love that you're specifically hitting on, um, on the grief aspect. And what we'll do today, folks, um, he's going to be reading some portions of, of this book, I think, um, are beautiful and, and very meaningful, and we'll just kind of have some discussion about that. But first, Mace... Tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Yeah, so I'm originally from the magical land of Philadelphia. I currently live in Seattle. And primarily in the world, I'm a poet. I'm an educator. I do a lot of work with uh, particularly faith communities as well as secular universities, colleges, and other sort of things on issues around racial justice and trans justice. So for me, when I think about this book and sort of what sort of kind of how this kind of came about mm-hmm. is uh, as a poet, you know, when we're grieving, we're doing all these different things. There's so many things that come up for us around grief. And so for me, this book is it's part poems. It's part short micro memoir, but it's also about the reader. Right. So there's lots of different worksheets and mm-hmm. things like that that people can fill out and kind of uh, engage with their own grief. And so it was a place for me, to be honest, as a black trans person, I think oftentimes that there is not work out there that assumes mm-hmm. that our experience is default, right? So yes. something that Kathy and I were talking about uh, in the green room before we kind of came in here is that this book for me assumes that trans people are also consumers of books, <laughs> that black folks are also consumers of books. <laughs> what? Right? Um, you know, all those things. Um, and so it's definitely for my community as well as for anyone dealing with grief to be able to, you know, shout, scream, cry, mm-hmm. and do all the things and just be honest about the depths of their grief and how it changes and how it changes you. 
Um, and some have some funny, dark humor about it because yes. <laughs> that's that's a lot of my life is lots of dark, fun humor. <laughs> yes, and, and I think when we're grieving, oftentimes our humor would be dark. Yeah. And so I found that to be, I found that to be really, really um, nice. Let me just ask you this. Mm-hmm. You've always known you could write poetry? I've been writing poems since I was eight. I've known I've wanted to be a poet since I was eight. So I don't know that I always thought that they were good. So that's a different kind of quality. Uh-huh. But um, that's been a huge part of the ways that I've engaged with my feelings. We were talking about signs also <laughs> before. Yes. And in my tourist <laughs> space, I don't really make space for all my feelings. Uh, so the, the poetry was the one way I kind of got those things out. Yes. And then he was saying in my cancer space, I would be helping him make space for yeah. those feelings. So, And here we that's how we got here today. That's right. So look at that. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I love it. All right. Um, and then I do want to let you uh, read a poem mm-hmm. here, but I also want to make sure that we click on some of the faith connections that you do and some yeah. of the workshops that you do with that. I think folks would find that interesting and I don't want to be stereotypical, but perhaps surprising. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to really try to touch on that, too. But let's uh, I want you to read the, the zone of rarity. Right. Okay. Is that what you're going to read now? Yeah. Um, and I think those spiritual pieces and the faith stuff will definitely kind yes. of come up from this. Yes. And so this is one of the first pieces in the book. And yeah, so we're just going to kind of get into it and we'll talk about why it's connected to grief afterwards. OK. So true story. The other day. I dreamt I was cuddling with a human-sized platypus. I stroked its beak and its tail. I wrapped my arms around it, and it made a sound I did not recognize. But that sound felt a lot like joy and calm and loyalty. I hear that's what some people call love. And maybe I didn't know what love sounded like until that moment, but that's not surprising to me. Because survivors were like that. We're used to mistaking chaos for love. We've been trained to call our very realities things that they are not. So this clarity in my spirit was new. I woke up all rejuvenated and wanted to know everything about the love of my dreams. So I read every encyclopedia entry, every Wikipedia article, listened to every TED talk I could find about the platypus. But they all described it the same way. Said that it was weird and strange that it had the bill of a duck and the tail of a beaver. But how strange does that sound to the platypus? That you could be saying it as the tail of a creature it's never even shared the same continent with? It's like it has, if it has the bill of a platypus and the tail of a platypus and poison spurs in its feet like a platypus, it is probably not a duck. It's like calling it a thing, a thing it is not. It's like when colonizers that called themselves scientists landed on what was once a black continent we now call Australia. You know, when they first saw the platypus, they thought it was a joke that someone was playing a trick. They thought someone actually wasted their day gluing bills onto the faces of rats, so they tried to remove the bill from the face of the platypus and subsequently killed a lot of platypuses that way, trying to uncover the joke. Turns out the joke was murder, because they were insistent on calling a thing a thing it was not. It's like, maybe my gender is a platypus. You know, folks always labeling parts of my body, things that they are not. It's like when Columbus landed on an Espanola, and Balboa landed in North America, and Hawkins landed in West Africa, and they saw all these black and brown bodies. They saw men and women, and they saw something else they thought was a joke. Someone playing a trick. They saw all these people that lay between their understandings of gender and sometimes somehow even beyond them. You know, some at the time called us healers. Some call us just purely divine. Now some of us just call it trans for short, but to them it was a joke. It was someone playing a trick. So, so maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they ordered us killed by dogs. Maybe that's why they burned us alive. 
Maybe that's why they tried to kill everyone that ever saw us as holy. Maybe that's the punchline because the joke to white supremacy is always murder. It's like when they told us they were bringing us civility on black and brown soil, but what they meant was that they were bringing us the transatlantic slave trade because they like to call a thing a thing it is not. Mm. It's like maybe my name is a platypus. You know, because when I say it, people tell me that's not what it should be. When really my ancestors called for me and I responded back and they told me there is nothing blacker than me calling my own name into existence, but to you, maybe it's a joke. And maybe that joke is suppression because supremacy always tries to kill things it doesn't understand. You know, I hear abusers do that sometimes. Try to devalue things they don't understand and call things things that they are not. So I may call that gaslighting. They may call it law and order. They may call it civility. They may call it a joke or a trick on them, a trick on their science, a trick on their biology, a trick on their power, a trick on their legal system, a trick on their supremacy, a trick on their superiority, a trick on their religiosity. But there will always be the platypus, Mm -hmm. even when you laugh behind its back, even when you deny its power and its poison in every step it takes underwater, it senses electrical pulses to find its food and the things that it will prey on. It reminds me of myself and the ways that I sense bull crap and decide what kinds of energy I will or will not feed on. Even when you think I am a joke, that my body is weird and strange, even when you call me a thing, a thing I am not, maybe I am not a platypus. Maybe I'm just defiance with venom in my walk. Maybe it is just my familiar. Maybe I'm just familiar with the ways white supremacy works. Maybe my familiar teaches me to always call a thing exactly what it is, and I call you. Wow. I'll tell you what. I love that. And when I read that, hearing you read that and expressing it, that was really, really powerful. Where did that come from? (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah. And so for me, that piece is a um, so what I talk about a lot of the book is just a string of things that were kind of happening in my life around the uh, the time that I got fired from this job and dealing with all this grief. And when I was thinking about ancestor and I was thinking about grief, it was very much important for me thinking about the legacy of black trans folks to help usher folks into better connections with the spirit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that particular story to me is uh, one that's one took a lot of time to research (laughs) and is actually kind of getting into the nitty gritty of people that specifically targeted black and brown trans bodies mm-hmm. uh, specifically because we were seen as healers and spirit workers. And so for me, this piece is about that, that I as a black trans person in the world am someone and am part of a community and legacy of people where my transness is not just about my gender. It is also about being a part of people that can see the world beyond what other people have ordained for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about the spirit and having this conversation about grief and connection that no one defines spirit better than trans people. Mm-hmm. And so that, to me, is a, is a callback to that. And when I, when I read it, from my point of view, I really liked that how we don't want to call, okay, so the platypus, we have to come up with other things to call the platypus. Mm-hmm. We can't call it the platypus. So we can't accept that you're trans because that doesn't make sense to me. You have this, this, and this, and this, and it right. doesn't make sense to me. So we have to come up with something else to call it. And then just as you were you know, moving through, as I 
continue to read it, it was a thing and it has to be like this and, and we have to define something so much. And that's that's what I, part of what I was taking from that. Um, is that can I interpret it like that as well? Yeah, most definitely. And I just, mean, um, we're trying to name something because we don't know what to name something or we feel uncomfortable. Right. And I and that's that's one of the message that I got to that. We try to devalue and we try to really name something and make it something else. So I feel more comfortable with it. Most definitely. Right. And so that discomfort to me, what's so important is that, you know, thinking about coming from, again, a community in which we're dealing with loss and death all Mm -hmm. the time. And often people antagonize trans people so much, and especially black and brown trans people so much. We don't get time to even catch our breath (laughs) around not just the the normalcy of we expect to lose our parents. So my book is about losing particularly my father and things like that. We expect those sorts of things to happen in Mm -hmm. our lives, even if we don't expect at the time. We know there's a time when losing our parents might happen. We uh, often also have to deal with the grief of, you know, coming outside every day and knowing that some of your family won't even acknowledge you. We have to also deal with the grief of people in newspapers, in spaces who come from your same community, were on your block, who are murdered and then misgendered in the paper and then tormented for it. Or, you know, people that can't access school because of basic things, you know. Uh, So, yeah. So even just the that recalling something, something from a vantage point that that is in that particular context is violence. It is violence Mm -hmm. and causes people to not have access to their own power. Mm -hmm. And I think I think that is something that. I don't know if if we I'm trying to I I don't know if the audience gets it. And I think that if you don't live being different in some way, especially as a as a trans person, I don't know if folks really get the amount of loss that can take place in someone's life when you are outside of what the norm is, whatever that may be, let alone sexuality or gender or whatever. You know, there is a lot of loss with that. And I I think I think as a trans person. You know, we, we want to get into comparing losses and, and I, I don't I don't like that. I don't I don't do that. But there is a there is a lot of loss that can come from embracing yourself and being yourself. And sometimes you don't even have that option. Right. So because yeah. even I had this conversation with someone, I think, at one of the churches I was at the other day and they, uh, you know, they asked, oh, well, how do you come out to people? And I was like, well, in most of my life, I don't really have to I just yeah and this often very androgynous being and yeah. people just you know yeah. uh react to me in all kinds of ways that I don't consent to mm-hmm. or do right uh yeah so even all those all those sorts of things and I I don't know if I said this before but for myself I come from a predominantly like Muslim and Christian background and I don't mm-hmm. know that I said that earlier in our conversation but so just even that space of needing competent places that mirror the spiritual needs I have around trans. This was just also something that was very Mm -hmm. important to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. You're this is your father. Your father is um, part of the reason that you were writing what was going on. Will you let the audience know about what was going on with your father and your work and that type of thing? Yeah. So my father who uh, passed about six years ago, so six years and some change ago, uh, was had a stroke a long time had a stroke during that time and I was you know sitting in the hospital room with my father and watching him pass and you know he was not the first person I experienced that kind of specific type of end of life 
care with, but definitely the biggest at that point. Um, and I kept getting calls from my work <laughs> at the time who were yeah. my supervisor, who actually her father was also sick at the same time that my father was sick, not at the same degree, mm-hmm. but was actually trying to convince me to come back into work, even though she consciously knew that my father was going to die and I would never see him again. Wow. Yes. yes. Yeah. So that's sort of what spurned this book. And to me is another example of the ways that oftentimes when as trans people of color are experiencing trauma and all. Like, so that in addition to um, how much how many times did I get harassed coming into work when I did go into work or mm-hmm. how many times did I get experience um, having yeah, all that kind of antagonism we deal with and loss of friends from things like suicide or homicide or all the different things that happen yes. or incarceration, all the ways that we get criminalized for existing, that when we're even experiencing the basics of trauma, we are not allowed to be human. Still different. Yes. Yeah. Still, still not treated differently. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And well, you know, we get our three days, no matter what, you probably would have gotten your three days. If you would have gone back to work, you probably would have gotten your three days of grief. Uh, you know, isn't that what we get when yeah, we're working exactly. for places, no matter what the a loss, whole three days, whole three yeah. days. Yeah. And it has to be a, a close relative. It can't be anybody, you know, considered like, oh, a grandparent, a pet, please. Yeah. Um, oh, my goodness. It's, yeah. it's amazing. So, yeah, I was reading how. Um, they called you into the office to, mm-hmm. and you were actually you sound like very happy to be fired. I was so. so <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, because I think one thing I talk about is what my horoscope said that day. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so, y'all, I just need everyone to know my horoscope. So it was May 1st, 2013. Yeah, 2013. I looked at my horoscope and it was like astrology.com. It wasn't even like some <laughs> like specialized thing. And it said, your work situation is about to change very drastically, but it's OK. Everything will work out. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I'm getting fired today. Like, I just consciously knew that. that. I was like, oh, I'm getting fired today. Okay, it's good. It's whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And you go in and you got fired. I got fired. There you go. (laughs) Listen, that was still like, y'all, it was literally one of the best days of my life to this day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was that I hated that experience of being treated so horribly around grief. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so the release was so wonderful. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. (laughs) All right. Let's, um, why don't you read another Oh, I'm here. Were you trans grief? Do you want to read that one? Yeah. So let's. And if I was really smart, I would have bookmarked. Oh, here that. you go. So Look. I'm, oh, I um, have a, as oh, I got the, it. As the person uh, who, um, <laughs> you know, leads the show. Yeah. Kathy is do. prepared. Can, you, can <laughs> people out there hear that for once Kathy is prepared? <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. And so just for the readers out here or the listeners, I'm saying readers, readers and listeners, because hopefully <laughs> yeah. you'll actually want to read the That's thing. That's right. Exactly. Yes. So. This book stems from my loss of sir and grandmother and family. But as trans folks, we know there are so many different types of grief that go unrecognized within a cis framework. For trans people, no grief. There is grief for the people who will never accept us. There is grief for our chosen family that we may outlive. There is grief for those who we see in newspapers who look like us. There is grief for the lies told about our bodies and grief that is held within our flesh. For trans people who know grief, let this be a moment to breathe out all the grief you are carrying, the grief you did slash do not deserve, the grief you are a master at forgetting. Breathe. Wow. Yes. The grief for the people who will never accept us. Speak a little bit to that. Ooh, so even... Yeah, so even thinking about this particular experience of dealing even with my father, P. 
pieces, right? I Who, by really... the way, you called sir. Yes, um, so I called mm-hmm. him sir. So just for that kind of clarity. Uh, and when I was having to do funeral arrangements with people who would never call me the right thing or who would never respect mm-hmm. me as a person and even having to be in situations around family or other people in that way. So the kind of grief of you're already dealing with a loss mm-hmm. and you're already having to do these extra things with people who are going out of their way to humiliate you almost, right? Yeah. Uh, I think about even, so I just came out of a flight yesterday, you know, even when I think about the amount of humiliation people do intentionally through TSA or other sort of things, mm-hmm. that so all that kind of grief of having to act normal when situations are stressful or when someone's trying to control you mm-hmm. by um, by banking on the fact that other people think you're as weird as they do. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Where they're um, so we can have lots of people because I'm stronger when I have lots of people behind me. Right. To uh, to treat you as I, I want to treat you. Yeah. OK. I like um, and I think something that that folks may not think about is the grief for those we see in newspapers who look like us. Right. That I think when I when I read that, that was very powerful to me. I had I had images of, of that sentence of what that must be like to see another trans person, you know, murdered. And we're not considering it a hate crime. It's, you know, we're, like you said, misgendering them and things like that. Um, I thought that one, that was very, very powerful. I like this. And you do you want to, would you just say um, for the audience, CIS, tell them what CIS is? So, yeah, CIS is the most basic definition I can give of that is anyone who's not trans. So if you were, you came into the world, you were told that you were a boy, you identify as a man now, you are CIS. If you came into the world, your doctor told you you were a girl, you identify as a woman now, you are cis. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's just take a a quick break. I'm Kathy Cooper. This is Lost and Found, and we will be right back. Marie, is that you? Oh, hi, Barb. How you doing? Better now. Did you know we had a little health scare with Jeff? Oh, no. What happened? Well, he had been short of breath and was really tired a lot of the time. He just thought he was getting old and was out of shape, but it turns out it was heart valve disease. How did you figure it out? He finally went to the doctor, and she was able to listen to his heart and detected the problem. I didn't realize it, but heart valve disease is more common than you'd think. They were able to replace the valve, and he's feeling so much better now. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. More than 5 million Americans are diagnosed with heart valve disease every year, but most people know nothing about the condition, and it can be deadly if untreated. That's why it's important to listen to your heart and ask your doctor if your symptoms may be due to heart valve disease or if you're at high risk. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatments for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Parents make all kinds of choices about their child's health. One important way you can protect your child's health is with vaccines. Viruses and bacteria are unpredictable, and even healthy children can develop severe complications. I'm all done. By vaccinating, you can feel good that you're doing everything you can to protect your child from harmful diseases. If you have questions about your child's vaccines, talk with your pediatrician and visit healthychildren.org. Alternative Talk 1150. And we're back. I'm Kathy Cooper. This is Lost and Found. We are having a, I, I'm loving the conversation with um, Mace, J. Mace III, um, having a great conversation. He's been reading some of his uh, poetry and we've been 
hopefully getting some insight into a life that, you know, and it, that's what gets me. As I was trying to say in our opening, in my opening uh, monologue, it's all, we're just different, but the same, you know, and I will learn from you. You will learn from me. No matter who we are, we learn from each other. And it's just all about love and compassion. And, and I think um, in your book, you demonstrate that. And then you also demonstrate some other types of emotions <laughs> at times. All the emotions. But, but that's what poetry <laughs> is, right? That's what poetry is. And it's yeah. real. And, it's, and, I, and I love it. Um, so let's, why don't you read Grieving Bill of Rights, if you would. And then um, let us know a little bit about what was behind that once you've, once you've read that. Most definitely. Grieving Bill of Rights. One, you have a right to cry in public places. Your tears will hit new octaves. Feel free to make an opera on every street corner that will have you. Two, even if you are crazy, which any sane person will be, you have a right not to be around people who make you feel that way. Three, you have a right to stay in bed motionless for at least a week Turn yourself every few hours to avoid bed sores <laughs> or stick with the pain just as a reminder that you are alive. Four, God slash the universe slash the world slash existence, whichever you want to pick is evil. Trust no one. Five, accept that whoever you lost wants to see you do well. So don't get up every day for yourself if you find your life meaningless. Live long enough in their honor for you to reach some type of happiness. Yeah, and so I think for myself, sort of creating that Bill of Rights piece was really about just all the, you know, the the whiplash of emotions that you kind of mm -hmm. feel and kind of, I remember having, you know, your, your social circles, your friend circles change mm -hmm. when you're dealing with grief. Yes. Because, uh, you know, I was in my 20s also when I lost my father. So most of my friends also had never experienced mm. that kind of close loss in yes. that way. And so they were looking at me in all kinds of ways like, oh, you'll just, you know, you'll just bounce back. Like, oh, do you want to just let's go. Let's go for a burger. Let's do this. It's like, I just want to cry and yes. snot on myself and just, <laughs> yeah. you know, be yeah. sad. You know, I, I'm sad. If you get out, you'll feel better. Let's go. Like, no, I'm not going to feel better. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Nothing that you mm -hmm. can do, you know. And so I think one, I was feeling uh, this, you know, this word, and I was using this this word that is, is, is so ableist around the ways that we talk about mental health and all these things, especially around feeling crazy, all these things. Mm -hmm. I did not feel like myself. I felt like a whole new entity, and my entity was sadness. It was overwhelm. Yes. It was frustration. And people tell you, well, the world keeps going. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the world does Yours not keep stopped. going. Yes. It is stopped. Like, I don't even know why I'm on this planet or on this ride at this point, right? And so just giving myself space to feel all those things and tell other people um, everything that you're feeling is normal. People trying to package you or make you pretty and all these things and happy or mm -hmm. reframe it don't know what you're talking about. Even if they've experienced a similar grief at some point, they might not be in it with you right now. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so where you are right now is normal. It yes. is normal to feel out of it. I, mean, I can't say what I want to say because we got we got the yeah. FCC guidelines. Yes. yes. But I think y'all understand what I'm yes. saying. Yes. And that's <laughs> and I think that's that is what why I love this so much, especially that the last one is um, you know, do something for that person. Right. And a lot of times we'll use that as a cliche as a cliche of, you know, what would they want you to do? But when it comes down to it, as you move through your grief, it does kind of become, if nothing else, I'm going to get up in honor of this person. And maybe that's what's gonna be 
needed to help folks kind of kind of get started. Um, go ahead. One thing that kind of came up for me with that particular piece. So one thing I made sure not to say in that one, especially that last one was, oh, they would just want you to be, you know, they would just they wouldn't want you to cry about it. They would, yes, you know, when people yes, say things like that. Yeah. Like if I die, I want, want everyone you to be to strong. Know. Yeah, like to be strong. If anyone hearing me, if I die, if I if I die before you, I want people to be sad. <laughs> I don't want you to just get up and act like everything's normal. It's not normal. I know. Like, I know. We mean something to each other, and that's okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I always tell people, um, you know, the person deserves to be cried over. Yes. And they deserve to be. <gasps> I can't move any further over and yeah. whatever else we're, we're feeling. That's what, you know, that's what they deserve. That's what love is. And that's what it, it causes in us. But yes, um, I don't like that either when it's like, they would want you to, you know, they, they would, but not right now, <laughs> but you know, maybe not, maybe they would even say, you know what, just sit there for a while and, and be with it. I yeah. don't know. Um, I, in one of the parts and I, I actually didn't mark it, but where were we, um, crying in the the one where you can oh, stand in a line <laughs> and makes where is that one? Yeah, so that is when we're talking about the gifts of grief. So yes, yeah. So as I was sharing earlier throughout the book, oh, you can kind um, of uh, see page thirty seven. Yeah, page thirty seven, thirty eight. So you can um, yeah. There's places for you to kind of interact with the book, and so I talk about the gifts of grief. Yeah, but so <laughs> that's my film noir. You all will learn about my film noir stage and crying into wine yes. <laughs> if you read the book. Yeah. Yeah, I can clear a line at the grocery store by bursting into tears. Isn't that so true? <laughs> I love that one. And then just you you just read those the those five five things. Yeah, you're gonna get me in trouble because I'm gonna have to replace some of the words. Oh, so yes. I can I can clear a line at the grocery store by bursting into tears. I can avoid talking to people I don't like by making them really uncomfortable in five seconds or less by saying something to the effect of, Yeah. I used to love that before I watched my dad die, but now, and just letting my eyes wander out in space. I've lost so many kinds of fluids. I'm pretty sure that I'll never be tricked into doing one of those cleanse diets. Thank you. (laughs) And while surviving doesn't make you a superhero, my good friend tells me that crying related dehydration might give you superpowers. So watch out now. It's nuclear radioactive (laughs) depresso boy. Or just some dude with snot in his nose, tears on his jacket, an empty voicemail box. But, you know, same thing. Yeah. And then grief makes my mind sharp. I might sound like a disheveled mess, but I know if you followed through on what you said or didn't, it gives me the ability to decipher who is honest and who is just talking out of their butts. That is really good, that last one. That is truth. I don't remember much, but I remember if you said you were going to do something to help me. Yeah. And then the next thing is, is your turn. What are some of your gifts of grief? And that's that's one thing that I do really like about this book. Obviously, the show is lost and found. And um, there's always something to the other on the other side of it. And I like that you leave room for people to to look at that and and come up with what it is that they do have. You know, what are some of the gifts of grieving? What did you find some of your gifts were? So I think for myself, I had less uh, patience for things that were not important. So I think. While it was painful at the time to even thinking about the streamlining of some of those relationships or other sort of things, mm-hmm. I think it, one, taught me about the people in my life that could that I could be honest with and people that I couldn't. So in this new iteration of my life, who I could actually be honest with, mm-hmm. I think also I no longer had time for that job that I was in. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so getting fired from that job, when I tell you all it was the, one of the greatest days of my life, it was because it felt like such a burden to show up at a place 
and I knew I wasn't going to release it on my own. And so mm-hmm. I needed that push. And from that push, I was able to become a full-time artist, to become someone yeah. who does um, who does the work of racial justice and trans justice and doing all those things and working with the spaces that I love, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah. And it yeah. taught me that I could say no to things and be okay with yeah. that. Yeah. I always <laughs> will tell folks um, to be aware of what once you found tolerable becomes intolerable right. in your grief. And it sounds like your job was was that that totally plays out what I what I say um, when I say that so yeah thank you what about um let's get into you know anybody that listens to the show knows that I get all bent up about (laughs) faith and spirituality (laughs) and all of that kind of stuff I I go on tangents yeah so (laughs) (laughs) we've got we've got a little more time left let's um talk a little bit about that about what you're doing with the the faith and Mm -hmm. your work with with um so as I shared very briefly before, so I come from a Muslim and Christian mm-hmm. background. Uh, so on one side of my family, we have lots of clergy. On the other side, uh, you know, a lots of just very folks. So my father was part of the Nation of Islam in the time when Malcolm X was in the Nation of Islam and was a mm. security guard for him very briefly and did some different things. So I have folks who are very steeped in their faith traditions. So for me as an individual, I've done everything from short-term chaplainships to I was a production manager's assistant for traveling gospel choir to like, (laughs) you know, helped organize a queer Christian youth camp uh, over outside of Philadelphia. And so for myself at this point in my life, uh, what a lot of work I've done has been working with one organizations that are anti-queer and anti-trans that were religious organizations. So I've done a lot of work with an organization back in the day where we became the first openly LGBTQ organization to meet publicly with high leaders of the Mormon church and which taught me a lot about what I was willing and not willing to do anymore. Mm -hmm. And so from some of those interactions of working specifically with anti-trans and anti-queer religious organizations, I do a lot of work on trans liberation theology. Right now I'm doing a book with a friend of mine, Lady Dame Figueroa Didi called the black trans prayer book where we are organizing 20 black trans folks from inside and outside the U.S. to talk about uh, the specific ways that trans black folks were targeted by colonization, targeted mm-hmm. by white supremacy, specifically because we were seen as having spiritual gifts. And it's going to be a interfaith and beyond faith text. So for people that are both in faith communities and people who have been forced out of faith communities that are black mm-hmm. trans people, as well as those who are in solidarity with us, yeah, and just also doing a lot of competency work with faith traditions. So I do a lot of work with faith organizations on their policies and practices around justice issues. A lot of people don't realize, but two spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's be, having, you know, being trans can be seen as a gift in many in many um, what religions, mm-hmm. and um, and I know Native Americans. They two spirit is is um, very prominent and um, and you know honored and respected and I always find it so interesting that we as a culture in America and for the most part probably Christian culture in America how we we see something different and we don't look to the gifts we see it as an abomination or mm-hmm. something something really negative. And so when you're doing work with the, the churches, are, does something like that come up? Yeah, and so what I think is really important about that, even that framework, right? So a lot of that framework, people oftentimes, especially in Christian spaces, 
don't ask, is this framework or theology that I'm using, is this about my relationship to God, to Jesus, or is it a relationship to white supremacy, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because some of the ways in which, when I think about even uh, someone like uh, Reverend Bishop, who was a uh, white um, min- missionary's son who was in Hawaii uh, back in the day, was some of the frameworks that he helped to create as part of a, as a religious leader and the theologies that he created helped us to colonize Hawaii, right, as the U.S., right, uh, by making it seem as Hawaiian people were deviants on their own. When I think about the concepts around slavery, right, that part of seeing gender nonconforming and trans people within black and brown spaces mm-hmm. was part of the frameworks that colonizers like Balboa, who was a conquistador from Spain, used to talk about why we were deviant, why we were against God, right, from his quote-unquote good Catholic background that wasn't just about his relationship to God, but also he needed to come up with reasons about why these people had to die or be reorganized or put into service for white people, right? And so people need to be very careful that those same frameworks were not, that framework around even when we talk about LGBTQness, that didn't even come up until the 1300s. So what was mm-hmm. happening before, before that? Yeah. Yeah. So I do a lot of work with people in looking at trans and potentially trans and gender nonconforming bodies and texts. So I have some very obsessive favorites, which I don't know if we have time for. But <laughs> very, yeah. What, what, what you think? Wait, you, wait, think? We, we, we've got we, Yeah. Go into <laughs> we've, Go into a couple. Go, of them. go into a couple. So uh, my favorites, I'll just because this one for me is the longest one, but it's I'll say it shortly. So my favorite is both in Quran and Bible. So mm-hmm. in Quran is Yusuf. In Bible is Joseph of Genesis. And so a lot of times people, when there's this uh, garment that for people that are on their Bible tip, you know, Joseph asked their father, uh, Jacob, for a specific garment. Right. Mm -hmm. And so most Bible notes, when you read the Bible notes, most people don't read the Bible notes. I do. And so most Bible notes will say the meaning of this garment is unclear, you know. But when it gets to Second Samuel and it's relating to that same garment with Princess Tamar, the Bible is very clear that's a dress, right? And so it's a royal dress for Princess Tamar, right? And so a lot of Bible scholars cannot wrap their minds around why would Joseph ask for this garment? Mm. Joseph gets this garment. Their brothers see them in this garment. They don't just beat up Joseph, right, who also has an interpreter of dreams, can also see themselves and see the world beyond what people have ordained for Joseph, right? Which I think yes. is a very trans experience. Joseph's brothers see Joseph in this this very dreamy person, this this interpretive dreams. They uh, attack Joseph. They yeah. put Joseph into slavery into Egypt, but they also defile that garment. They cut it up mm-hmm. and they destroy it. They cover it in blood. Joseph ends up becoming incarcerated, becomes uh, uh, is a survivor of sexual assault in this story, which we don't talk about. But is also one of the few characters in text that gets an accountability process at the very end when they're talking about their family. And most pastors, preachers that I hear talk about that story, even imams, will talk about that as in a forgiveness story. And to me, that's such an accountability story of a trans person getting justice for the ways that mm. their family put so much pain onto them and their body. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my favorite. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, so I have lots of, so even as a, a survivor in so many different types of ways, I use Yusuf to talk about the ways that, so I do a lot of work with domestic violence survivors around finding and talking about the ways that in especially Abrahamic faiths, there's usually only a handful of ways that we talk about violence. 
or three particular ways, which is one, don't do violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Two, it's if you're going to do violence, this is how much violence you can do. Or three, if you can do violence, these are the people you can do it to. And so I use stories like Yusuf's and Joseph's to talk about what do we actually do as survivors of violence, knowing that violence happens. Mm-hmm. Right? Interesting. What kind of uh, what kind of feedback do you get when you okay just with with Joseph and you're mm-hmm. talking to a, a Christian or talking to one of your even Muslim whoever you're presenting that to what what mm-hmm. kind of response do you normally get? I think for me, I think a lot of times I get a lot of surprise from people because usually they're expecting me as a trans person to be intimidated by the text, right? mm-hmm. and so I think that at this point in my life, I've done enough work on research on things that um, people don't really, there's not a day that people are ever going to trip me up on the text. I think a lot of people find healing in knowing that there's space for them. Mm-hmm. In Definitely. These yeah. Like even if they're not religious themselves, even when I think about yes. the black trans prayer book work we're doing, a lot of that is not necessarily about like, Oh, you have to be a religious person. It's you have religious based trauma. You don't deserve to have. Right. Yes. So how can we let go of that burden from you? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's more of the place that I get. And if it's not that person themselves that needs that, someone in their life usually needs that. When I think what what is fascinating is, I'm like I always say, there has to be so many faiths and because there are so many people and there has to be something to speak to everyone. Right. And I think what we get caught up in is, okay, I, I just heard that. I've never heard that before. So, oh, you're just trying to make it relate to your situation to justify blah, blah. And then we go down that, mm-hmm. that road. So um, what, what do you say to that? So what I say to that is, um, so even let me go back to my experience with Mormons, yeah. <laughs> specifically high leaders of the Mormon church, right. Who have been in the news recently also about some of their new policies and things like that. But so when I was sitting across the table with Mormon high leaders and myself and my colleagues, we all brought our little Bibles. We looked really good that day, you know, And across the table, we're talking about the practice of kicking out young LGBTQ kids from their homes. And so that's what they were meeting us with is to address the epidemic of Mm -hmm. homeless young Mormon kids. Right. Because they were kicked out for being trans or queer. And so I realized that we're both using words across the aisle like Jesus, like God, Mm -hmm. like all these things like youth. And on one side, we were talking about supporting young people's lives and on the other side we were talking people were talking about the consolidation of power and so i have very clear conversations with people thinking about again your framework Mm -hmm. of theology comes from somewhere does it come from an actual like if you're looking at the fruit of your works if you the fruit of your works causes people to be homeless causes people to be physically assaulted causes people to be murdered if i can hear the same thing from someone trying to attack me with a weapon on the street that i can from you on your pulpit I want to know more about what you actually think God is and what that means and what theology means. And maybe your theology is less about God and more about keeping on to power into certain people's hands. And I think that is really the key to me is everything that you're saying. It really comes down to the relationship with God or who our God is versus trying to keep somebody down, trying to keep Mm -hmm. control of something that I'm associated with. And that's where I wish, you know, and I have to catch myself at times too, but that's where I wish all of us, whatever our beliefs are, we would examine everything that we are being told by that. Is it to encourage my relationship with my, my God and make me a better person, a more loving person, a more just person, person, or is it 
to keep me from doing something or doing something so an outcome takes place. I find in a lot of churches I've gone into, people won't let people curse on the pulpit, but they'll let them be racist. They'll let them be transphobic. They'll let them be classist and all the things. And to me, again, like that piece that you just said about, you know, does your faith make you more just, right? Does it make you more just person? That's the question people need to come away with. So that's the framework that I try to Mm -hmm. leave from that. If your faith doesn't make you more just and make you more invested in justice, what is your faith for? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes, because... Yes, because if you're um, a Christian, I mean, we forget that was what Jesus was all about. I mean, he's called everybody (laughs) out on the on the carpet. So, yeah. All right. All right. Thank you for um, for being here today for having me. I I really appreciate it. um, You do. Oh, I I want you to read one one last part to close to close your your part of the show out. You know, (laughs) you would read that last part, this heart. This heart is mine, mine to give, mine to receive, mine to love whoever is worthy. And let me prepare myself. Let me allow my heart to break open with a possibility of abundance. May my heart flow like rain drowning out my doubts. May they be abandoned in the wilderness and left to rot. May they serve as the compost to nurture what I have left to grow. For many a dream has died within me but left their seeds upon my flesh. May they come into fruition again with stronger sense of purpose, of skill, of finding light where shadow was prevalent. May these wounds heal. Yeah. That's my powerful part of it. Yeah. That, I, I just find that really touching. I, I find that re- very, very profound. And I I thank you for being here to share your, your book. Again, it is, um, my guest was Jay Mace third, And... The book name of the book is, or the title is, And Then I Got Fired, One Trans Queer's Reflections on Grief, Unemployment, and Inappropriate Jokes About Death. You can go to his website at jmaceiii.com, and you can get a book from him, and he'll autograph it for you. Obviously, it is on Amazon, but, you know, look up the author and go to him to get it. I think uh, you'll find it really uh, an interesting read as well as as you can see there's some uh, a lot of deep thoughts in it so thank you for being here with me today remember folks to be gentle with yourself be gentle with others and remember as Lao Chu said every new beginning is disguised as a painful ending see you next week